Before the start of this episode, we want to remind you of our annual C2 seminar, titled The Future of NATO Decision-Making, which will take place from the 21st to the 23rd of November in The Hague. Registration is still open, but spots are filling up quickly. For more information about the program and to sign up, please visit c2coe.org seminar. And now back to the show. One of the things that we absolutely must ensure that any adversary understands is that we have freedom of maneuver in all five domains and that in those domains, uh, they are at risk uh, of, uh, of coming off worse if they decide that, uh, that they wish to use those domains um, offensively. In this episode of the NATO Senior Mantis podcast, we are joined by Vice Admiral Paul Bennett, who joined the Royal Navy in September 1985 and has enjoyed an extensive sea-going career commanding on every level and on every rank. Following promotion to Commodore, he commanded the amphibious task group operating in the Indian Ocean, Norwegian Arctic and on the west coast of the USA. Finally, as a Rear Admiral, he commanded the UK Maritime Battle Staff and most recently he serves as a commander United Kingdom Maritime Forces and Rear Admiral Service Ships. Her Majesty the Queen appointed him as a companion in the military division of the Most Honourable Order of the Bath in the Birthday Honours in 2016. He served as the Chief of Staff Allies Command Transformation in Norfolk, Virginia, from where he retired from regular service and took up the role as a NATO Senior Mentor. Sir, it's a great honor to have you on the NATO Senior Mentor Podcast. Um, and I always start with asking, how would you like us to address you? Can I address you with Paul? Is that uh, okay for you? And Mietta, Paul is absolutely fine. In fact, I would expect nothing else. You are, as a senior mentor, you are linked to uh, the Maritime Command and you're also uh, linked to Strike Force NATO and you have a special focus on ACT, on the warfare development, all very, very interesting sides of command and control. So I would be really interested as a starter question in what you would see as the typical aspects of command control in the maritime domain. Um, well, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and it's been a little bit of time since I've been at sea, but, uh, but most definitely the, uh, the maritime domain is, uh, is in my blood. So, uh, you know, delighted to start uh, there. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and actually, just in thinking about the, uh, the podcast, um, we do tend to focus in our conversations about the land domain. It has, it has some real complications, uh, a little bit of chaos, uh, and the maritime in uh, in uh, comparison feels just a little bit uh, calmer, uh, less chaotic, because we're talking about units in which those people are existing. But uh, but you can take them as uh, as ships, submarines, aircraft, um, and in in task groups. So the the command and control 
um, at the baseline is uh, is relatively straightforward. Um, once you've formed those task groups and you've determined what they're going to do, uh, clearly force apportionment uh, to get that right is uh, is a really important uh, element of it. Uh, but the command and control of those, giving giving a, a task group commander a task and getting him or her to deliver that through using the uh, the pl- platforms they've got is uh, is is straightforward. Um, and uh, the sharing of information, the sharing of the, the maritime picture is also something that, uh, that has been a feature of maritime operations for, for decades. Um, we aspire to uh, that being better. But in terms of the, the operational headquarters and the tactical headquarters having broadly the same picture, uh, that is uh, the case. And in NATO, uh, MARCOM uh, has a very good uh, operational picture um, which is provided in some ways by the the, the, the standing NATO, NATO forces that are uh, out uh, at sea. So, so that is, I think, uh, very straightforward. I think, nevertheless, in command and control terms, the the ability of a commander to understand his subordinates and vice versa, the ability of the subordinates to understand how they fit into the overall uh, context of the uh, the mission, uh, are is exactly the same challenge, um, and that's. That's not really. That's not particularly easy because that's a human element uh, to it. Um, but so I would, I would uh, simply just say, perhaps easier, um, but with many of the same features as other command and control systems. Yes, uh, I think as coming from the army, I always thought that. But I also thought lately I came to this idea. Okay, but the the sea has enormous distances uh, and you've always um, the sea is for everybody so uh, there is quite a difference on uh, missions where you have current missions all the time uh, at sea for NATO whereas we in the land domain and in more or less uh, in the air it is really a national um, responsibility, uh, and as long as nations um, uh, are not at war, it remains, of course, a national responsibility. Where that is profoundly different at sea, and probably also profoundly different in space and cyber. So, those command and control sort of parts of it. I was really interested where you see how that makes C2, current NATO C2 in the maritime domain, um, different. And where where do you see the challenges of those huge distances and also the benefits of always already having worked together with so many nations? Well, I think the the fact that you're operating together routinely, day to day, over extended periods, um, makes uh, our understanding of our allies and partners much better than if you were in a, a force that's been put together for a particular mission. Um, so the the interoperability and, and and in that I mean the understanding of the way that other navies operate uh, is extremely good um, and and really um, brings that 
that sort of that 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 uh, that idea that uh, you know seamen at, at sea, seamen and women at sea uh, are um, are bonded by that uh, that experience, and and that's very much part of being a mariner uh, at sea. And I think that helps sea too, uh, without a doubt. You, you mentioned distance a couple of times. Actually, as long as you can communicate, um, then distance uh, actually doesn't make a great deal of difference. Uh, perhaps, in past, there is just one uh, one strand that that is worth uh, just mentioning: is that when you're operating at sea, you're operating simultaneously under the water, uh, on the surface, and in the air, uh, and, and and that has a a tactical complexity, um, um, but by definition, but but is something that uh, that is at the heart of uh, of how we operate, uh, and therefore uh, something that's managed reasonably effectively most of the time. Hello, sir. Also a warm welcome uh, for me and thanks for uh, participating in the podcast. And I think I want to uh, hook in in what you just uh, mentioned in uh, operating together in a uh, long period of time. And that's also because uh, nowadays what you see is that operations are led by NATO. And I think you're referring also to standing NATO maritime groups working in a, a group together or a multinational alliance of nations. Uh, this makes it for all very essential that we have the same shared understanding of the meaning of the principles for command and control. So what is your understanding of the command principles, continuity of command and integration? Of command, right? So, continuity of command. Um, uh, I think by uh, as we've just talked about, you know, having having that sort of continuity over a period of time with a standing task uh, is is really important. Um, I think in NATO, um, there's been a change announced in the Vilnius summit in the Maritime C2, in which Markon, the the maritime com- commander in uh, in Northwood, uh, will now command. Uh, uh, at the operational level and at the tactical level, uh, in support of the Joint Forces Command, I think that's a, that's a, that's a really important uh, change. And, and what that enables uh, is for a single command to be able to look across the entire entirety of NATO's theatre, um, be able to have a operational feeling for force apportionment, prioritisation. Uh, and then to be able to use that picture to uh, to support the Joint Forces Command and that continuity that Commander Marcom will bring, exercise for the first time uh, just in the last two weeks in uh, Steadfast Jupiter 23, um, uh, I think is 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 very powerful. Um, so we've taken a step, um, or Sakir has taken a step to, uh, and nations have agreed, uh, Sakir's recommendation to, uh, to to really embed that uh, that. Um, uh, that continuity of command invested in uh, in NATO command northward. Um, so that, that, I think, is very positive. Yeah, and that gives them also the opportunity to basically improve uh, every time that they're basically working on it. Uh, challenges that they have feed it directly into the system instead of what you also mentioned. You have to set up a organization based for a specific mission and it ends at well, and who takes it over for the next? As in a continuity that it also has the best setting to learn from it and to improve it. Yeah, and without a doubt. So, so having having people that understand their role in command and control is vital. Um, and but the the other element of that is how do you ensure that you really understand what's going on? 
Um, and and that, of course, is is a constant uh, challenge to all commanders uh, to make sure that they have sufficient situational awareness, um, can understand what's actually happening, um, and uh, and and without a doubt, you know, the the, the Northwood uh, headquarters challenge themselves routinely on ensuring that it has good situational awareness in order to be able to instinctively support the Joint Forces Command where that's appropriate. So if, if you're saying as well, if you have a a good possibility to maintain that continuity of command, it's also uh, easier to facilitate the integration of a command or other nations that join a specific uh, structure organization or a mission? I'm sure it helps. Uh, in the integration, um, it's not the it's not the an- it's not the only answer though, because the integration will have to happen uh, on the on the ground at the sea in this instance uh, clearly, uh, because uh, the integration of national capabilities into NATO capabilities uh, and and in the maritime, uh, especially national capabilities flow in towed to NATO and then flow back out where national tasking is required. And that's a that's a well-established uh, process with NATO being the, uh, the, the the socket, really, for national capabilities where that's appropriate to, uh, to plug into, uh, into a, 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 you know, a task group. And so, and so that integration uh, is down, is done at the tactical level, uh, is something that, uh, that is, is very uh, well understood. Um, it's never without its challenges, um, especially in communications. But uh, but nevertheless, is uh, is something that we're doing more and more, and that's a, I think that's a very positive um, change that's been happening over the last two or three years. So that also uh, sounds like in the maritime domain, and especially on the uh, Marcom uh, command, that it's 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 developing itself to more fit for purpose in a. A continuum of competition that we're actually in and then a clear distinction between peacetime and crisis we'll all have to flip over or change procedures you just i think can continue what you already started is that correct well i would agree with exactly as you've said i mean we, we i mean the whole of the nato command structure has been focused over the last uh, 18 months or so creating the the family of plans that has been well uh, publicized well talked about championed at vilnius uh, and is a remarkable uh, piece of very intensive work that's been done in a relatively short period of time uh, and has has set uh, the, uh, the the NATO command structure and within that each of the components um, in a framework that that uh, has been worked on intensively and now agreed by nations. So our job now is to take the very good work and turn that into uh, practical um, uh, action, uh, which is what every component is doing. And in the in the maritime, that's exactly as you suggested, uh, is uh, is where the focus uh, is of of all the commands, the maritime command. So, the relationship between uh, Marcom uh, and and the standing NATO, NATO forces and uh, Strike for NATO um, and the you know the big heavy machinery that uh, the Strike for NATO looks after. I mean that relationship uh, is. Absolutely pivotal to the delivery of combat power, uh, and has been developed uh, really significantly over the last year with the with the focus that uh, that NATO uh, has developed uh, against um, against uh, Russia and uh, terrorist groups. Yeah, that's well. Uh, thank you that you're mentioning. That's why I think it's that special focus on this. 
I think, side of the command and control uh, because it's, uh, as you mentioned, it's a family of plants and that family of plants is bigger than only the regional plants because it needs to nest and sync with national plants. And that, if we can make that integration work best and test it, I think this is a good example in how it uh, can uh, evolve and develop. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks for that. Yeah, that is enormously interesting, I think, how it now will uh, develop. I always wonder, so I, I asked uh, not so long ago my army commander and my uh, air force commander and my navy commander in the Netherlands, uh, so who would you now regularly go to at the NATO site to to ask uh, what you need to prepare your troops for or what you need to develop and uh, what they need to be able to do. And uh, there were different answers. So uh, the army obviously goes most of the time to the joint forces commands, whereas uh, the Air Force and the Navy have a very close uh, relationship with AIRCOM and MARCOM. Uh, do you see that that should change or should that um, stay the same? I'm a little bit um, looking on, on how that relationship should develop further. Yes, well, the um, the, the structure, um, I think, to anyone peering in feels a little bit complicated, and as it, as it would do for a big alliance. Actually, I think it has been simplified and proved such... Uh, during the exercise that we've uh, we've just done, the biggest you know CPX, the, the command post exercise that we've done in NATO for, uh, for I, I, I understand forever, but uh, but anyway, certainly for the for the past few years, um, and uh, and the and the and the really key elements I would just draw out is one is uh, is the the joint forces commands uh, are the ones that are going to bring all the elements of uh, of, of combat power together to deliver a, a joint. Uh, campaign at the, at the operational level, um, but alongside them, uh, there are the uh, the theatre component commanders, um, uh, seven of them. But but you know, in the conversation that we're having at the moment, um, maritime, uh, the, the theatre maritime component commander, land component commander, air component commander, um, and they are the uh, the officers um, who are providing the. Uh, expertise, both to SACUR and to the Joint Forces Command, on on those environments in order to inform that at the operational level, uh, and uh, and in in doing so, they then uh, will have a relationship with their with their forces. So I don't think, uh, in your view, uh, that the Army touches base with the JFCs and the and the others uh, with the Theatre Component Commanders is quite right. Um, certainly, Marcom and Aircom have a much more intimate relationship day to day because they have uh, their their operating uh, missions for NATO uh, routinely. Um, uh, but I think when it comes to uh, war fighting, then all of those allocated to a joint forces command would have the same focus on ensuring they understood their operational commander's requirements uh, in order to, uh, to to deliver those. So um, there's an element of sort of peacetime transition and uh, and crisis that perhaps would have you know slightly different relationships, um, but there are uh, key co interconnector connectors. So I don't think nations will be short of uh, good advice if they uh, they connect appropriately. Then I would like to 
ask a question a little bit about the decision making and the levels. Um, so you have been uh, commanding at every rank and it's an impressive career that you've had. And you've also been chief of staff on the uh, joint forces command and you've been of obviously uh, at the highest levels of uh, NATO. When we look at uh, uh, decision-making, critically, commanders are uh, at the operational level. They they should be able to uh, instinctively be well, uh, both at the operational level as at the strategic level. Uh, And I'm trying to find what... Uh, you have experienced as real good examples of operational level decision making. Where would you uh, make the distinction between the tactical level, as you just spoke uh, about, uh, where you where you also do multi-domain tactical level at sea, uh, and the and the operational level, and the the kind of decisions that uh, you had to make at those levels. So my experience uh, at sea has been at the tactical level uh, in its entirety. Um, so I've been a tactical commander, but but also a task group commander um, of, uh, of of a number of task groups, um, but all at the tactical level. So in that regard, um, I look down at uh, at, uh, at ships and submarines and uh, an aircraft and, and elements of a task group. But but um, but that that's that's the the, the focus. So uh, of course, one also needs to look up. Um, by definition, and and that is where the sort of operational uh, plug-in happens. I, my my sort of overall point uh, is that that in command, uh, the really important um, way that uh, that I think one should deliver operations is to to make sure that your team below has enough direction, uh, and then concentrate on looking up and out um and and if you uh, no one else is doing that um so in a in a headquarters the, really the only person that's looking up and out is the commander he or she may decide that uh, they want some support in it but otherwise uh, the chief of staff is delivering the uh, the activity down uh, the deputy is clearly in uh, in in uh, support of the commander, but the commander is the one that sets the command tone out. Um, and then, so at the tactical level, for me as a task group commander, and at the operational level in in maritime operations and national maritime operations, I've been looking up into uh, to navy headquarters in uh, in Northwood also, but uh, but in a national perspective. Um, and uh, when under uh, NATO command and control uh, into uh, into Marcom. Um, and the really important thing is to understand the commander, to un- to to have the points of contact that you're able to uh, to to call on, to ensure that the perspective you are seeing at the tactical level and the perspective uh, that he or she is seeing at the operational level uh, sync. Um, I, I think the the most depressing time, and we see it a little bit as a senior mentor, is when com- uh, commanders. Uh, are getting frustrated by the other headquarters um, and failing to pick up the phone uh, and share the perspective because there's absolutely no doubt that uh, that no one is doing this deliberately. Uh, it's the, when when you're frustrated, it's because you don't understand 
uh, often or mostly uh, what the other headquarters is trying to achieve. Um, and therefore, you're sort of failing on your up and out responsibility. So, so, so I hope that uh, gives you. I mean, it gives you a bit of an answer to uh, to to how I would approach it. But but it is about communication and personal relationships uh, at the forefront. And what about the decision making in 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 Marcom? So that's obviously about prioritization, uh, longer lead times. Um, you need to make those choices. You're planning ahead. Um, those are different kind of uh, of choices. Do you see? Um, do you see us making a real different way of approach to the decision making we're doing for these kinds of? Yeah, is it more a campaign? Well, the campaign is more at the joint forces commands level, but at Marcom, I suppose it's also uh, more in the direction of. Uh, of of a direction or an intent, uh, more than uh, perhaps single decisions. What well, uh, gr- gr- great uh, introduction, and uh, and I think that's um, that's a really important point that you're bringing out, uh, Mieta. Um, so it's uh, our instinct uh, in the maritime, and I'm guessing, but I won't uh, I won't judge uh, other domains. Is to uh, is to enjoy moving ships, submarines, and aircraft around uh, around the board, so to speak, um, and we're good at it. Uh, because we've been doing it for decades, and uh, and that 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 tends to be where we are. We fixate a little bit on positions of ships and submarines, especially submarines, um, which tend to become you know strategic assets at the tactical level. Um, but but your point around where your focus should be at the operational level is uh, is is hugely important. So at the operational level, you are you've you've either got a mission. Uh, to deliver as a as a singleton commander, or you're, uh, you've got a mission that you're responsible to, um, in the NATO context, secure, for example, to uh, to provide your part of the, his overall plan, um, and so your focus, uh, rather than on ships, submarines, and aircraft, uh, needs to be on mission success. You know how how is the mission going? Uh, how are we? Uh, measuring it, focusing on the mission, just make sure that uh, that we're understanding it's the delivery of the mission, not uh, not tactical manoeuvre you're doing. Uh, to understand so that you can advise up um, the risk and opportunity that so that you are um, taking in your in delivering your plans. To look at the resources that uh, that you have in your disposal and determine whether they are um, sufficient. Uh, for the missions that you are asking your tactical commanders to deliver, and then apportioning across the theatre if that's required uh, in order to support uh, that. So actually, it's the the, the operational level. The considerations uh, tend to be uh, harder to make um, because it's less instinctive, uh, but are absolutely crucial if we are to deliver the missions accurately and the most effective way possible. I'm going to switch uh, to our uh, next topic, which is, uh, with no surprise, about multi-domain operations. Um, End April this year, our uh, strategic commands, so ACT and ACO, have released the concept about uh, multi-domain operations. In your opinion, what what are the biggest differences between joint and multi-domain operations? 
Now, I think the multi-domain operations um, concept is a fantastic step forward. Um, a lot of people are talking about multi-domain operations. Um, a lot of people are absolutely doing it with some authority, but but until the concept was out, then, then we didn't we didn't fully understand exactly how NATO was going to approach multi-domain operations. So this is this is really important, and I think the fundamental difference between uh, joint and MDO uh, is that the idea is that you're operating uh, in five domains simultaneously um, and uh, and uh, and that is easily said and extremely difficult to do so in joint we'd understand uh, maritime land and air operating in coordination um, but there would still be a maritime commander uh, delivering maritime effect in coordination with his air and land colleagues and and the relationship is uh, is well understood um, in multi-domain operations uh, every commander needs to be operating in all five domains now that's people will think well how on earth does that happen if you're the maritime commander so let's just take that for an, an, an illustration so so the maritime commander will have a bunch of effects that he needs to uh, deliver uh, and will determine the best way of delivering those. Uh, and uh, he or she would need to think about um, the land, air, cyber and space elements that, that might enable uh, that if effect to be delivered in the most efficient manner possible. Um, and now I'm not suggesting that that is something that changes in a flash. Uh, and a maritime commander will see most things, of course, through a maritime lens. Um, but but for, for, for him or her to be thinking about those other four domains and determining how they, uh, they support or can actually deliver the maritime effect more effectively uh, is the, the logic that, that happens. Um, so not just joint, but, uh, but, but absolutely integrated um, domains fighting for a single effect yeah and uh, the question that i uh, get a lot uh, visiting around uh, the different headquarters participating in uh, exercises it's of course since we have the five nato domains that we need to speak in another language maybe then joint but a lot of people also refer to me so like but can you explain to me what the concept is trying to solve what is not working at the moment well, I think the point is, how do you deliver operations in the most effective manner possible? Uh, and uh, the, <clears throat> there is a sense that uh, that operation, modern operations, future operations, and and to a degree operations today, um, will need to be able to take opportunities uh, f quickly um, and to integrate. And, and by doing that, this sort of uh, this vision of a uh, of sensors and effectors in all five domains being available to a commander in order that that they may be able to take the uh, the opportunities because if they're not able to do that uh, then uh, the adversary uh, has potentially could get the advantage um, and that momentum the accuracy um, and the real focus that i think mdo brings uh, is the is the this the change yeah, I think it's also good that we have a uh, NATO concept on uh, MDO because if I understood in the whole way 
the the path to that concept is that a lot of uh, nations have their own MDO concept. I think for the US or the UK has one, uh, if I'm uh, not correct, or even France that uh, speak about it. So it's a concept that we need to implement and translate within our NATO alliance. I think that's a big challenge. What do you see as the biggest challenge for the NATO MDO concept to be implemented? Yeah, there are many challenges in uh, in delivering this. I, I mean, at the heart of it is a, is a mindset and culture change. Um, because as you suggested in your previous question, um, people are just not quite sure what it means. Uh, and it's very easy for me to say, you know, a few wise words, but but that doesn't really necessarily help them uh, in delivering this. So our ability to be able to uh, to practice um, so that we would understand how a commander uh, develops a multi-domain mindset uh, is something that uh, that is um, really really important. And I don't believe it's about training. I think this is most, I mean, clearly it's a bit, a little bit about training, but, uh, but it's not fundamentally about training. What it is, is about, um, about understanding the picture uh, of what does a cyber and a space picture look like uh, in a maritime headquarters or a, a land tactical headquarters or an operational headquarters. I think we must define exactly what that looks like and what the expectation is so that, so a commander is helped to uh, understand how they can operate in these other domains. And, th- and this is not a maritime commander uh, becoming a cyber expert. This is a maritime commander thinking about cyber effects that could be delivered, but also how uh, he or she might be responsible for protecting our own cyber capability or operating in a contested cyber uh, space. So this is placing themselves within a cyber environment or a space environment and being able to understand uh, their part in in the in that environment in order to make that as effective as possible and is it also a distinction that you see at uh, which level because uh, always talking about it i'm always a bit stuck at the strategic level that the concept is uh, written for. And that's, I think, mainly because I think synchronization part with non-military actors, the consultation part with other instruments uh, of power, is it uh, to be fully effective? Uh, must it must it be translated through all levels of command? So the strategic, the operational and the tactical level? It has to be every level. Um, and uh, and that is that is fundamentally because the strategic and operational and tactical level are all uh, essential to be able to operate together in order to deliver uh, effect. Uh, I mean, a command and control system, which includes the strategic and the operational and the tactical, um, could be nugged down into making sure the tactical commander has great success. Uh, the most success possible, and all the strategic and operational direction and the context and the apportionment is about tactical effect. So it, it must be at every level. I, I think what you're getting at, though, is that, uh, and, and this is one of the things that we trip up on uh, in the way that we look at something, see a problem, trip over and then move on, and we don't quite tackle it. Um, and I think that the, the thing we trip over in when we discuss MDO is that, as we quite rightly understand that a number of the effects in cyber and space are rightly held at the strategic level, at the national level, 
Uh, and and that's that absolutely uh, for the foreseeable future will be where where the, where that uh, lies. So the question is not oh well that's no there's no point in the tactical commander worrying about it then. The, rather the issue is how does the tactical commander understand uh, the potential uh, in those environments, uh, and we develop a methodology uh, to link the tactical commander and the strategic. Uh, together, probably through the operational level, but but you know, let's let's those two levels in order that those effects become available to the tactical commander. Now, once again, I'm I'm saying something that's really difficult to deliver, but but it's but it's not. There, there's no one standing in the way of doing that. We just have to figure out what those processes are. Um, and one of the other traits of NATO is that we're all desperate to do it tomorrow, uh, and it's not going to be not going to be done tomorrow. But but if we work together, if we start to understand the especially the cyber and uh, space environments better and better at all levels, uh, then we can start to work through how that can happen. Uh, and and I can tell you that uh, that during the uh, the Jupiter exercise that we've just done, there was some fantastic conversations about how this might be done. Um, better understanding, uh, better better processes, um, and and these will be considered by Shape um, going forward. And ACT and support, uh, I've got no doubt. So we need to we need to keep working at it and not not just trip over, fall over, think we can't do any more, and go back to joint. That would be the wrong uh, answer to that particular problem. Yeah, because uh, the MDO by itself does that also. Uh drive a required change in existing command and control relationships? Uh, it may. Um, and I, I don't think we know that. Um, so as it stands at the moment, the command and control relationships, um, uh, I think, will, will, will stand the test of time. Um, uh, they've just been uh, refreshed and changed um, through, uh, through the, uh, the the regional plans and the SSPs. So, 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 so I think we're in a good place uh, to be able to take the next few steps in the MDO journey. Now, um, downstream, um, and I'm involved in a little bit of thinking into the into the future about uh, about uh, a, a project called the Cross Domain Command Concept. So that's how what how what. Does command control look like in the in the future? It it may be that we consider that if uh, if data becomes uh, our ability to manage data is is improved um, uh, as the digital transformation work that's going on. If we're able to understand how to grab hold of those effects at the strategic level in a better in in a slightly more effective way. Um, if all of th- this sort of changes, then it may be that we develop as a, a, a you know a different route. Um, uh, I think the the SSI, so the supported supporting relationship that we've got established uh, now in NATO. So a commander is given a task and told he's the supported commander, and and all of these other things are supporting. I, I think that is a a really good step into what eventually will become MDO embedded in the in in uh, in the alliance uh, and if you have cyber and space commanders in support recognizing there's all, all sorts of authorities that we're going to have to work through i think you can actually start to get at exactly where we are but but we're stepping in that direction we're not going to click our fingers and uh, an MDO will suddenly come around the corner uh, it'll be a bit of time but we're heading in the right direction so we need patience. 
Well, I, I don't know whether patience is the right. We, we need to recognize, not get frustrated by the fact that there are some some things. I, I, patience might be overdoing it because I'm not entirely <laughs> sure that we're, we're blessed with it. Um, but uh, we, we want more and we want it now and we want it tomorrow. Um, we may just have to wait a couple of days. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you for mentioning uh, those interesting words like data and cyber and space. Uh, because I'm always trying a little bit to get my head around, uh, as obviously uh, we are preparing for war times and um, uh, our NATO command structure comes into play when we actually have uh, at least a crisis uh, or a war. Whereas uh, that becomes a little bit more blurry when we talk about cyber. So when we talk about cyber and space, most of the time those are mentioned as um, supporting in uh, a kinetic uh, fight. We're already in an Article 5, we're already fighting. Whereas if we are in today's continuum of crisis, uh, you could state uh, that the fight is there. It's just not under NATO command. It's under national lead. So we have 31 nations in the lead. And we still would like to uh, attain uh, uh, deterrence. We would like to be deterrent. And our assumption always seems to be that just, just by showing that we could fight uh, a kinetic war, that would be deterrent enough. But you would also like never to get there uh, and to be deterrent and have some escalation management today. So I'm also very curious about a deterrence campaign and how we can strengthen our deterrence campaign today, uh, working together with all those nations and trying to get to those converging effects with these other instruments of power, because that's where maybe they get in, uh, as we do see that we take considerable actions in all instruments of power today in our crisis with Russia. Um, and you'd like to, to do assessments on it and try to see also where NATO's actions that we are doing today and even uh, in the maritime domain, probably uh, real actions in order to deter uh, our, uh, our being effective and, uh, and so have kind of a cycle and then get back to uh, adjusting perhaps our, our actions on it. Where do you see that? Where do you see we could improve this campaign or could get into this more difficult command and control uh, weeds? Um, yeah, there's quite a lot in that uh, that question, uh, Mieta. I, I think I, I, I so so let me try a, an answer, and if I haven't quite covered the ground that because uh, I think you've covered quite a bit there, and then you can come back and reattack, but. But I think your your point on deterrence is obviously pretty fundamental to uh, to the alliance. I mean that that's what we uh, specialize in. That's what we are doing today. Um, it's what we uh, aspire to be uh, successful at to to avoid conflict. And uh, and and I think the you know the focus of uh, you know the last few uh, you know well months well eighteen months I guess um, now um, 
you know, since Russia went into Ukraine has been absolutely uh, about deterrence, uh, of course, uh, and ensuring that uh, that there's no there's no doubt in uh, in President Putin's mind that uh, that uh, that any um, any further uh, action would uh, would result in, uh, in 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 NATO taking action. I, you know, I think that's a very clear deterrence message, and that that, that of course is um, and deterrence is all about uh, ensuring that an individual. Uh, is making the right decisions, not the wrong decisions. Um, so, uh, you know that that is, you know, the heart of the business, um, and, it, and it's a seminar in itself, of course. Um, I think in in your point around how does that link to the domains and uh, command and control, um, and one of the things that we absolutely must ensure that any adversary understands is that we have freedom of manoeuvre in all five domains, uh, and uh, and that in those domains uh, they are at risk. Uh, of uh, of coming off worse if they decide that uh, that they wish to use those domains um, offensively, um, and uh, and I think we really understand deterrence in uh, the three traditional land, sea, and air domains, of course, uh, and deterrence in space and cyber are you know, are seminar topics uh, and enormously difficult to uh, to. Uh, to to do, but are are absolutely at the heart of a multi-domain um, approach and activity, um, and people are working enormously hard to uh, to make us better at at articulating that to understand. I mean, this um, uh, understanding the uh, uh, um, the you know, who who was responsible for a cyber attack is you know is is something that's a lot talked about in the press as well as uh, in the military circles um, that that makes it that does make it very difficult to uh, to to deter in the cyber but but you know to to know that we are on this operating effectively and we have very capable nations especially uh, who offer uh, you know extremely uh, uh, good cyber capabilities is a really important part of that overall messaging yeah, it is quite interesting if you think about cyber when uh, normally for to deter, we just show that we could uh, how we fight. And, and you can't show that in cyber because you actually give away your, your, uh, your abilities. So to be really deterrent in, on the cyberspace is, is perhaps uh, a little bit different um, from being deterrent in the other domains. Well, it's, it's very different, um, uh, of course, uh, and and is enormously difficult. Um, and there are probably people that say, it's, you know, it's almost impossible to deter. But in my view, as not a cyber expert, I have to say uh, quite quickly, just in case there are cyber experts listening uh, and falling off their chairs, is that uh, that you know it is uh, it is imperative that uh, that an adversary knows they they don't have freedom maneuver in this uh, in this space. Um, because if they do, then we're absolutely not deterring them. Uh, so whether that is by uh, our ability to uh, to fingerprint uh, a, an adversary or whether it's our ability to be able to operate um, in the cyberspace uh, and, and potentially do harm to an adversary, I mean, that, that is... That is all part of that uh, calculus, but but your you know your point of it is it's different, difficult is absolutely right, and I and I think this will be an, an area that will be uh, well is under constant development is under development I should say and will need to continue to be um, and, and and whilst there are some real experts doing it, 
uh, actually, perhaps the the challenge that I would uh, offer to to those is how do you uh, bring the, the the important elements to the layman, so the layman or woman can really understand uh, the the environment, because that's um, that's something that's an, an, in the multi-domain operations business that that uh, that is important. You can't leave it just to experts. I mean, the experts will do the business, but it's really important that everyone understands the the, the broad outline and how they can contribute and help. And I have another thought that it came to me this week because. Uh, we were talking about how you could really uh, uh, strengthen the cooperation with other uh, instruments of power and other entities and with industry uh, and with entities like the European Union and the UN. And uh, somebody told me that it's pretty hard sometimes to organize it uh, within NATO because it needs to be approved by 31 nations then sometimes and then uh, the UN uh, and it also needs to be approved by so many and then the, at the EU level also. Whereas if it's organized by a nation or perhaps by another entity uh, such an exercise or trying to get these, uh, uh, these parties to work together, they uh, have less difficulty to to do that. And to actually today make sure that you start cooperating on a higher level of intensity. So should those things more be picked up at the national level? Should that integration with other instruments of power and with other entities like the EU and perhaps be more driven from the national level? So of course the answer is yes, uh, because uh, otherwise you don't have a you know you, you're not operating you know comprehensively as we would say in uh, in in the sort of military jargon, um, and the other instruments of power are just as important uh, in delivering a deterrence message against a, an adversary um, and on a national basis. Uh, more difficult in an alliance, although as we've seen. Uh, around Ukraine, you know, I think the you know, nations' um, allies have uh, have collaborated to uh, to provide sort of some some economic um, uh, sanctions, etc. And perhaps not under the NATO umbrella, but, but nevertheless discussed uh, within the NATO NATO alliance. But um, my simple view on it is that there's there's no um, there's no monopoly here. You know, we 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 need to uh, we need to embrace anyone that has similar objectives to ourselves uh, and ensure we share and understand how we can gain benefit. Now, that's other international organizations, uh, you know, like the EU, great. Uh, if it's uh, industries, um, then equally that's, uh, that's important. And there's a recognition that, uh, that in space especially, uh, there are civilian organizations that, uh, that have... Uh, space capabilities that uh, that that we need to understand if we are able to uh, to collaborate um, in, appropriately with them to uh, to to you know to to mutual benefit. So so um, this is we need to cast our net wide uh, for partners, um, but not do it just for the sake of having partners. We need to do this on the again Paul Bennett's view, uh, based on a, a shared objective. Um, because if we do that, um, we have great, much greater authority and power and we're likely to be more effective. Then we'll uh, switch to our last topic, which is about uh, education and training. And I think education and training is a key cornerstone of a functional military organization. Uh, 
And if I hear you correctly in the, the last answer as well, not only for a military organization, if you want to translate it into a MDO setting, because you need to incorporate uh, other partners. Uh, we've seen just, I think, an, uh, a very good example, as what you mentioned already, on the Steadfast Jupiter 23 exercise, uh, which is uh, also a part of it. But how do you see the various levels of command and control, education and training, uh, from basic to advanced, within NATO? And how do, how do we need to adjust or evolve them to be ready for the MDO setting or the techno technological integration like AI and data analytics and, and there's so much more out there. How do we need to evolve that? Um, it's a it's a big question, uh, Jan, clearly, because we're talking about, uh, you know, thousands of people working in NATO um, who could all do with a little bit more training and education, no doubt. Um, uh, and I think we need to be quite focused on it. Um, you know, perhaps at the heart of the training and education business um, in in the alliance is to make sure that nations um, agree the concepts. By definition, they have to, otherwise the concepts won't become NATO concepts. Um, and of course, by doing that, they undertake uh, to ensure that their people are being trained uh, within nations uh, before they arrive in NATO. And, and, and we in NATO rely on nations to provide us with uh, capable, well-trained individuals and and they do a fabulous job. Uh, when I was in ACT, we had the responsibility of trying to understand where NATO um, should do training. Uh, and that is um, where we it would be wrong to expect a nation to provide that amount of training because it's alliance specific and therefore we then provide um, that. So uh, a great example is the uh, combined operations planning course because we're teaching NATO planning. Uh, why should a nation do that? Uh, they shouldn't. So for those in NATO that need to do planning, then we, we provide that course uh, through uh, so NSO and Obramagau and, uh, and, and lots of people benefit from it. So, so the, the relationship with the nations is, is hugely important. Um, and, and then uh, what, what other training? So you know, the process answer is that we identify holes in our training and we we then do the necessary studies and and, fi and fill them um uh, i i think in the while that process is going on we would recognize that there there are there needs to be education um done in a in a more ad hoc fashion to keep you know to make sure that people are understanding that so so understanding the lessons that we've taken from uh um, jupiter 23 uh for example um you know need to be uh, uh put into the into the mix uh, and and people given uh, the necessary you know sort of training if, if that's required um i i am not sure my, my personal view is i don't think there is a huge change in training that is required uh, in developing MDO. Um, uh, what I would say is that, uh, as I think I was saying earlier, is that there is a mindset change, and so, so in in delivering that mindset, there is a there is an education and a training element to that. But I think you do that in your teams. Um, we need to educate and train people about. Uh, about how you operate in in five domains, but uh, but I think that is not going to be formal training in my mind. That will be uh, 
you know, engaging with the cyber experts and the space experts and, and, and having workshops, doing wargaming. Um, you know, there's a huge amount of activity while we try and, um, for, for in, in all sorts of headquarters, while they try and wrestle with some of the thorny issues that they identify. Um, and, and, and some of the outcomes of those are we need to get that group of people, you know, better educated in cyber, let's say, uh, and, that, and that will happen. But I, um, I, I, I'm not sure I can uh, sit here and say, no, there's a, there's a big training load in this. There is a very big tran transition uh, um, element, um, but I'm not sure it's going to be solved by formal training, if that was uh, where you were trying to hint at. Yeah, because that's where we lean on for the basis. And I think it's uh, very good that you mentioned that there is a responsibility between NATO and nations, and especially nations providing qualified uh, personnel to NATO positions, because that's where we uh, rely on. And uh, talking with people on those uh, NATO positions, they always heard them because we're, we're, I think we're in need and in search for the right balance, because they always, it's also uh, often mentioned I'm over-exercised, but I'm under-trained. So that balance in the focus, I think, in the time that we need it, the amount, the number, and that we actually have, a, uh, I think, the right venue at the right time and place, not that we exercise five or ten times a year, but a two to three focus on an exercise, then learn from it, get the, the chance to improve, train on it, and do it again for the whole alliance. That, that balance, the people are searching for that balance. I thought it very specific if they don't have the time anymore to really good, have a good training, but run from exercise to exercise to exercise. Yeah, your, your scenario would be wrong if that were, if that were really true. And, uh, and I'm, I think we never seem to have enough time for anything. In those people, people tend to be, you know, enormously busy doing all sorts of things. Um, and I, you know, and again, easy for me to say, but but I think where there is a obvious need for educational training, then then I think in teams uh, we've got very senior people responsible for those teams. I would like to think that where they see a real need, they are taking action to make it happen. And if it's a if it's a if it's a failing of the system, i.e., something that we need to fill, then there's a process in which to uh, to fill that. Um, but we never seem to have time for all sorts of things, um, and uh, and that is that is a problem, a mindset, a prioritisation. I don't know what it is, but uh, but it is a feature of uh, a NATO staff, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious about this because. I agree with you that we don't have so much time. And, and then at the heart of MDO, uh, currently NATO is stating that uh, lies the digital transformation. And we, of course, at the same time, we see that we will have enormous amounts of data, but we also will have possibilities to uh, use AI to do assessments and create the Excel sheets and the PowerPoints that we had to do with staff officers, all these kind of actions that can be done easily uh, with other systems. Many of those, uh, many of this enablement uh, must come from nations today. Uh, and uh, your, your nation, uh, the UK, 
has always been really uh, forward thinking, I think, uh, as well on MDI. And, and in their command paper, uh, they also state that this integration is required across all, all services, all domains, across government. Uh, and I wonder when you are at home, when you're talking uh, with the UK and what are the discussions on this MDO enablement? Where where do you see that nations should today uh, make big changes in order to enable MDO with the digital transformation, but also perhaps uh, on the personal side? So what are the things they need to do today to get to this point? Yeah, I think I think well, I think we may have covered some of this uh, already. I think in the short term, in my view, is uh, is the you know making sure that cyber and, cyber and <coughs> space is understood and, and integrated, uh, so that you really are operating as a as a you know uh, as a in, across five domains. Uh, I think uh, my my second point would be to to really focus on the supported support and relationship idea, uh, in order that. Uh, where possible, an oper uh, operational commander will give an effect to a commander, tell him or her, right, that's your effect. You've got all of these these four other components that are supporting you. Go off and do it. I, you know, again, there's all sorts of reasons why that might be tricky. Uh, but I think that in developing our understanding of how we integrate the five domains that that's really important um and then and then what what you were getting at is is uh you know the sort of the the longer term stuff uh which uh, we absolutely know about and uh is how do we start using data you know effectively um and we trip ourselves up when we talk about this because we know that uh, that of actually some of our basic IT is a bit challenged. And then we're talking about this stuff in the future. But uh, you know, leaving that slight, you know, sort of frustration, uh, you know, aside, um, the really important that the, the digital transformation work is uh, is is embraced. And and this, it couldn't have more support from the political and the military uh, in um, sort of uh, areas, of, of, of course. Um, and, and if we're able to do that, because that will enable much greater shared understanding, it will it will give a much deeper level of understanding because we're able to use all the data that, that's available rather than what a human is able to uh, to, to manage to, to plow through, especially in the intelligence world. But, but that's, you know, let's, let's call it situation excuse me, situational understanding um, or, or something like that. Um, if, if we don't get after that, uh, then uh, we have a problem um, because uh, we will be absolutely be, uh, be uh, behind our adversaries who are also um, chasing, without a doubt, these, this complex but, but, but very attractive uh, future, which we can see but we'll take a couple of mighty heaves to get there. So, so I think that is where I would uh, would, would identify in, in sort of capability development uh, that we should get get after it. But, but I'm I'm simply reporting what if Sakti was here uh, or Sakia probably uh, they would both say it, and uh, certainly the chief of the defence staff in the UK would uh, would I'm sure also say it. So I'm hardly saying anything that's remarkable. Uh, but uh, but you asked me my opinion, and I agree with them all. Thank you. I sometimes wonder, okay, 
probably we shouldn't have called it digital transformation because the digital part is is already there. All the data is there. It's most of the time the problem lies with the people who are not really used to actually use uh, assessments of data in their decision making. Uh, and so that's that's perhaps sometimes we wait too long uh, and we think, well, we wait until the, all the technology is there. But then I think, okay, we have had all our logistic information, all our personnel information, all our information on financial uh, trans transactions. We've had that for like 20 years in, in one uh, in, in our systems. And I haven't seen a lot of decisions being taken on these uh, these data sources. So the data analytics you could have done a long time ago. I'm going to leave it with that. I'm sorry about that. Um, do you have anything that we didn't cover up until now where you were on command and control which you'd really like to share with us? Yes, no, I think we've had a good conversation. It's a, it's a big subject, so I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other things we could have covered. But, uh, but I think um, uh, to save the, the, the listeners, um, I, I won't go off on one now on any other line, but thank you for the opportunity. And it's been very nice to talk to you both. 